Good morning, everyone. And it's well worth uh, turning in, well, hopefully in the Bibles that you can see in the pews in front of you, you'll, you'll have noticed this morning that in our normal handout, which has the hymn words that there are, not uh, printing of the, the Bible readings. And that's an attempt to, uh, I guess, to get back to what we were doing pre-COVID, which was opening the Bible uh, together rather than just seeing it printed uh, on a sheet. So we have actually ordered new Bibles for the church, but would you believe there's a worldwide shortage of Bibles? I'm hoping that's for good reasons, that there's such demand uh, for it around the world. But there are some Bibles uh, there in front of you, and it's worth turning to uh, the book of James, uh, which is where uh, we'll be. Um, James is uh, just, just after the book of Hebrews and just before the book of 1 Peter uh, in the New Testament. As we begin this new series uh, that uh, Gavin mentioned before, thinking about who we are as a church, there is a, there is a sense as we do that uh, as a church, whether you've been here for many years or whether you're uh, brand new to this church, that thinking about ourselves as a church it, uh, can be uh, a dangerous exercise. It can be just an exercise in, in navel-gazing. Uh, thinking about ourselves uh, too much. And that's what we would be doing if, uh, as we thought about who we are, we based it on our own perception. Uh, we would all have different perceptions of who we are as a church. If, if, as I said before, if you are new, you might respond, well, I'm not really sure what to make of this church yet. I'm not sure who you are. Uh, and if you have been here long term, you, you may have all sorts of views of our church, especially with uh, recent years, all sorts of change that we've been through as a church, essentially uh, three distinct churches in a way coming together to become one church family. And it, it may be in, in some senses tricky to work to see who we were in, in who we are. So there may be all sorts of ideas in our minds as we think about uh, that question of who are we as a church. Uh, I, I think there's another danger, of course, if we were to try and understand who we are based on uh, the way the world views us. Uh, again, our world would have all sorts of views of not just this church, but the church more generally, perhaps negatively. The, the church can be seen as the problem in the world. Or, and if uh, that's not the view, perhaps the conclusion is the church is a, a, a dying relic of the past. All sorts of views of who we are as a church. However, if we base our understanding of who we are on the God who actually formed us as a church... I think what we're going to see in the coming weeks is that the truth of who we are is actually far more wonderful than we, or perhaps even our world, may be able to see. Uh, here's a summary that we've uh, used as a, a church uh, for some time to describe who we are, and it's an attempt to describe who we are from God's perspective. Uh, here it is. We are those who have been welcomed into God's family. That's who we are. And so we welcome everyone. We grow together. We honour God and we do that as we long for our home with him. Now the middle section of what I've just described there is actually, if you like, our mission as a church, uh, our purpose as a church. Three things. We, we want to be a church that welcomes everyone, uh, connecting people into relationship with the Lord Jesus, uh, their saviour and their Lord, uh, and connecting people into our church family so that they feel that this is home. Uh, we also want to be a church that, that grows together and and the Bible tells us that the, the growth that we want to see in one another is growth into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. And we want to be a church that honours God, uh, living all of life for him, not just when we gather together like this on a Sunday. But in February, what I want us to consider together is, is I guess, the who 
we are as we think about that mission together. And who we are is right at the start of the statement I made. Here it is. We are those who've been welcomed into God's family. That's who we are. And February's goal is to unpack that identity. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to see, if you like, four characteristics, four markers of our life as a church uh, that come from the fact that we are God's family. Here's the first of them, and, and Gavin mentioned it before. It's what we're going to be thinking about today. God's family heed God's voice. And we're going to see two reasons why heeding his voice is so crucial to who we are as a church. Here they are, and we'll look at each in turn. It's because God's voice is what welcomed us into his family, and God's voice is what grows us up in his family. Let's think about each of those in turn. Firstly, God's voice welcomed you into his family. Let me ask you this question. I wonder if you were wandering around this coming week and someone asked you, why are you part of the church? Uh, what your answer would be. It could be all sorts of things. Well, I always have been. Uh, or perhaps, if we're less, un- less certain, uh, I'm not really sure why I'm part of the church. Or, or for the younger members of our church, it might be my parents make me go. Uh, it can be all sorts of reasons that we would give in answer to that question. But here's the Bible's answer. You are part of God's church, God's family, because he invites you to be. Who we are as a church actually hangs on his invitation. And I think there's great assurance in that, isn't there? Uh, when we ask, why are you here? We don't have to cite some sort of validation from ourselves, some sort of CV, some sort of history, some sort of activities that says, that this is why I'm here. No, our answer is quite simple, but it's wonderful, because my Heavenly Father invited me to be part of his family. And what we know from the scriptures, and we heard this in our first reading, that invitation that our Father gives us to be part of his family, his churches, is not a casual invitation. It's actually a very costly one. Uh, here's what God's word, his voice tells us. Uh, 1 Peter 1, we had it read just before. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. His welcome, his invitation into his family, it's not casual, but it's costly. It costs his son's life. And what was the cost for? Well, again, this is part of who we are. Here's the truth. Uh, You and I, we we were uh, created to, we weren't created to live by ourselves or indeed for ourselves. We were created for relationship with God, our Father, who made us. Created to live under his good rule. uh, Created to glorify him uh, in our life rather than ourselves. But as we gather, we know that part of our history as his people is that we all live for our own praises. That we neither acknowledged God nor gave thanks to him. That we gave that to ourselves. And the Bible's word for the way we were and the way indeed we are still as his forgiven people is sin. Our relationship with him was broken. Uh, We were in his sight unrighteous and worthy of judgment. In in fact, here's the truth of of our past. We We had no right to be welcomed into his family. But hear God's word in response. Hear the miracle of who we are as his church. Uh, Again from 1 Peter, this time chapter 3 verse 18. For Christ died for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. We are welcomed at the cost of Jesus' life. And uh, I wonder if you've considered how good that feeling is 
of knowing for sure that you are welcome here in his church. I mean, how hard is that experience in life to not be sure that we're welcome somewhere? It reminds me, uh, years ago, I went with a, a friend who I'd grown up with. We, we went on a, a trip to Ireland, and, and we, uh, as part of the trip in Dublin, we, we went to Lansdowne Road, a, a famous rugby union field, and, uh, where we'd seen sort of wallaby victories on the TV uh, I- growing up. And so we decided to go on a tour of Lansdowne Road, and so we turned up for the tour. Uh, but there was no sign of the tour anywhere. But what we did see is that the gate onto the field was, was open. And we thought, well, maybe the tour's already started. And so we wandered onto the field, still no sign of the tour. And, and my friend Scott, who, who'd come with me, he, he bought a rugby ball all the way across the world. I'm not sure why, but there it was. And uh, so we're on this field, and we decided to reenact some sort of famous scenes from, from rugby games in the past. I scored a try in the corner. And then uh, he tried to convert a goal. And so I'm standing behind the goal, he's lining up to kick, and what he can't see but I can behind him is the, the security guard heading uh, towards him, and I'm trying to wave madly, and he thinks I'm trying to line up the kick, and, and so he kicks, and then there comes the tap on the shoulder. And I'm not going to attempt the Irish accent, but essentially the, the take-home message for us was, you have no right to be here. Who are you, you fools? Get off my field. And I think there is a sense Uh, for us as a church that there are times that we may feel imposters here uh, because we know our own sin we know our own frailties and failures and there is every sense that we might have that tap on the shoulder to come to us and say you're an imposter you don't belong here but this church God's family is not built on merit but mercy you and I are here not because of our merit but because of his very great love for us we are welcomed by God as his forgiven children. There is no tap on the shoulder coming to say it's time to leave. Uh, You and I may look like imposters. Our actions may betray us as such, but it's not true. I'm free to stay. He paid it all. And if you uh, are someone here this morning who you don't know that welcome for sure, then you'll find that that word of welcome appears again and again in the scriptures. Uh, In fact, all the way through Jesus' ministry, one of the things he says regularly in John's gospel, he simply says this, come and see, come and see. It's an invitation, a welcome. uh, In a few weeks' time, uh, we'll probably mention this later in notices, but we're going to be having a Christianity Explored course, which is designed to give you opportunity to think more about this welcome that we receive. And so who are we as a church? We are people who, heeding God's gracious voice, find ourselves welcomed back again into his family. But the reason we are characterised as those who heed his voice is not just because that voice welcomed us into his family. Here's the second reason that we'll think about this morning. It's because that voice is what grows us up in his family. In fact, when Jesus uh, in John's Gospel says, come and see, that, that invitation isn't just come and see and be part of my family. It's, it's an invitation not just to new life, but life to the full. Uh, the stories that we can share as a church are not just stories of coming into his family, but stories of growing up in his family. Uh, here's the wonder of who we are. The same word that gave us new birth as his children is the word that grows us up into maturity. Uh, Christian, I wonder if you believe that about his word as we open it together like we do this morning. And I wonder if if that belief lines up in our approach to life. The way you'd know, as according to the book of James and the reading we've had just earlier, is that 
we wouldn't just be listening to God's voice, it wouldn't just be present in our life, but we would be those who heed it, who obey it. I wonder if that's a mark of our church. And I have no doubt about the, the claim of the first part, that God's word is present, that we listen to God's voice. But, but are we heeding his voice is the question. Here's the challenge for us from, from James chapter 1, verse 22. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's the genuine mark of God's family. Yeah, here's the question God asks us. Are you humble enough to not just listen to my word, but to heed it, to, to, to know that I'm speaking it to grow you up? I mean, how often God speaks to us. Think about it. As we hear sermons together on a Sunday, as we gather in our Bible study groups, as we gather for prayer meetings, you name it, wherever it is, the word of God is heard. Uh, it, it's like uh, in the New Testament, the parable of the sower. That, that's how God's word works. He, the seed of his word is sort of cast out on us uh, in extravagant ways. There's sort of huge wastage built into the system. And I suspect that's because he knows in this world how hard it is to not merely listen but to do what he is saying. And so he speaks and speaks and speaks like a patient father. And so let me ask you again, uh, are you humble enough to not just hear, but to heed his word? And when I ask that question, I'm not just asking, are you a Bible person? Could you uh, name the books of the Bible and know where James is between which books and the like? Uh, I'm not asking you, are you a fan of God's word? The Bible is asking, do you do what it says? And it's such a vital question because uh, if you've got the book of James open, chapter 1 there, verse 22 says this, to merely be a listener as one of God's people is to be self-deceived. Failing to heed God's word means you, you've not actually heard what God has said because he speaks a word of promise to believe, uh, a word of command to obey, a word of rescue to reach out and grab hold of, uh, a word of change to undergo. To fail to do what he says is to fail to hear the only word spoken in this universe, spoken for our salvation. I wonder if you've ever known that experience of someone speaking a word to you that's actually for your good, but you're too distracted or for whatever reason, not listening. It reminds me of, let me tell you another story about my friend Scott growing up. Basically, uh, Scott has been a, a great friend of mine because he's provided about 4,000 sermon illustrations. His life is that sort of life. We, we went on a camping trip many years ago together and on this particular night of the camping trip, we'd ended up on a campsite on top of a mountain near the edge of a cliff. Not a great spot to, to camp, but there we were. And we, we'd set up the campfire for the night and then slowly we ran out of firewood and Scott, being the sort of outdoorsy type, said he'd go and get more firewood. So he headed off to get the firewood. And uh, Greg and I, uh, another friend, we, we sat by the fire. And 10 minutes passed, no Scott. And we're thinking he's enthusiastic about how much firewood he's getting. 20 minutes passed, no Scott. And then eventually, uh, as we get quiet, starting to worry, uh, we can hear faintly in the distance Scott's voice calling our names. And uh, so we go wandering, looking for him, and, and we go up to the edge of where there's this lookout, but don't imagine a tourist lookout, there's no fence. And, and uh, we, the, the voice is getting slightly louder, and then we look over the edge of the cliff, and if you can imagine one of those trees sticking out of the edge of a cliff, there's Scott, uh, a little way down off the edge of the cliff, hanging on uh, to this tree, and in the other arm, he's got the firewood. 
And it took us about 10 minutes to convince him of the virtues of perhaps letting go of the firewood so that we could uh, reach down and pick him up. Now, I don't know what happened, whether it was just the fear and the panic of that moment that, that t- made him take a while to work out what to do. But I suspect that's exactly what happens with God's word and us. He speaks to us. He speaks for our, to our good. But we are too busy gripping the firewood, too busy with a better plan out of fear, convinced we know better than him. And he keeps calling, keeps calling to listen, to obey. James uses a picture to make that point. Do you see there in James 1 verse 23? He says, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says, it's like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and, and after looking at himself goes away and, and immediately forgets who he, who he, what he looks like. I mean, literally there, verse 23, it says, the one who merely hears is like one who sees their natural face, that's the word, the face of their birth, their new birth as part of God's family, and yet they forget that face. James is speaking of the one who sees himself as he is meant to be, part of God's family, hears that word, sees himself growing up into maturity, growing to be more like Jesus, sees the wonder of that, and then verse 24, simply forgets. And this is really important. When James says forgets what he looks like, he's not talking about a mental forgetfulness. I remember years ago preaching on this passage, and the illustration I used to explain forgetfulness is a bit like goldfish that apparently have a memory of about five seconds. And so they swim around the bowl and they see the castle, and then they swim around again, and it's like they've seen it for the first time. It's... It's a wondrous experience for them. But it's not that sort of forgetfulness. It's this sort of forgetfulness. It's a heart forgetfulness. In fact, later in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 4, James will speak of this again, and he says it's the sort of forgetfulness an unfaithful husband shows. He doesn't forget his wife's name. He doesn't forget he's married. He chooses to forget who he is and the value of it. Forgetfulness, verse 24 says, is when, well, we don't want to remember. Because there in the moment, we think we, it is better to forget who we are. That's a heavy word, isn't it? That God views our lack of heeding his word as heartbreaking forgetfulness. But it shouldn't surprise us. Given the value he places on you as one of his people, we as his church. Given the price he has paid to win us back. And yet, even more remarkably, while James 4 does describe our forgetfulness in in that picture of unfaithfulness, uh, two verses on from that description is a picture of God's breathtaking answer to our unfaithfulness. And his answer is, I think, my favourite five words in the whole of the scriptures. Here's his response to our forgetfulness. But he gives more grace. Isn't that remarkable? He keeps speaking. Gracious words, comforting words, sometimes confronting words, clear words, compelling words, words uh, for us to heed again so that we remember who we are, leading us to this life to the full. And do you see there verse 25 of our passage? We're told, here's the counterpoint of forgetfulness. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in all he does. Heeding God's voice is where blessing is found, says God. 
Uh, what blessing uh, is he after? There, there may be all sorts of blessings we hope God has in mind for us, but actually right at the start of the book of James, he tells us the blessing he has in mind for us. Uh, James 1 verse 4 says this, this is what God is working towards in our lives in all things. To make you mature, complete, and not lacking anything. I mean, how good is that? Imagine that triumvirate in your life. Mature, complete, not lacking anything. And that, those three things are actually one thing. They describe the Lord Jesus. That's who he is making you like. Do you see the blessing of heeding his voice? Can you imagine being like his son? I mean, let me try to paint a picture of what that would be like for you. Yeah? Here's what he is working towards. Someday, you will be truly and deeply happy. No shadow of regret or shame or envy or bitterness. Your heart will be altogether glad in him because you'll be like him. Someday you will be fearless. Fearless because you are totally assured of his love. No shadow of regret or anxiety or obsession or fear because you'll be like him. And this is the one that really gets me. Someday you will be a truly good person. You'll be good as Jesus is good. No stain of greed or depravity or self-absorption or duplicity. No more sin because you'll be like him. That's what God is working towards. And the doer of the word, we're told, verse 25, looks intently into that purpose, sees what we are called to become and perseveres in obedience towards This is who we are. Those who have been welcomed into God's family by his voice, those he is now growing into the likeness of his son by his voice. Well, let me finish with this. I think history records many times when big revolutions have begun with small steps in small rooms. Uh, and so it is with God's family. Uh, next week, uh, as we look at another distinctive marker of who we are, we're, we're actually going to relocate to the small room of, of John 13, the, the upper room where, where Jesus spoke his last words to his very first disciples before we're going to the cross. Now, if you know those chapters, you'll know that that room and the group within it turned the world on its head in the years to come, simply by heeding the word of this one Jesus. Now, I reckon for myself, my own life was turned upside down in much the same way. A small room in a church actually not far from here, a room where I spent my teenage years in a couple of times a week. A group of people, this is all that happened, a group of people turned up each week with a Bible and a pen and we opened God's word and he spoke and we made it our goal to listen. And the change that came over my life in that room was so quiet and so slow at points, I mean, still very slow, but it was relentless. And that's my prayer for us as a church, because that's who we are. We are those who gather to heed his voice. That's our shared project. So let me encourage you as you come to church to come here with the intention of hearing and heeding his voice as he leads you to maturity. Let me pray for us. Well, they open with can't stop. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can oh, call you that. That we who have no right to hear a word of welcome from you uh, hear it. And it's not by merit, but because of your very great mercy. And so we are sure of it. Yes. Help us to know who we are. Help us to know who you are making us. Uh, making us like your son. Help us to heed your word. Amen. They didn't really answer